Gratope, everyone. Welcome. Glad you are here. It is the first day of the week. It is a beautiful day. Like the Rebbitzin said, it is indeed a uh, beautiful day in the wilderness. Or wilderness. <laughs> How funny. Neighborhood, I meant to say. A wilderness on my mind, thinking about the Exodus. Uh, in the neighborhood, Baruch Hashem. <clears throat> and so, uh, it is a beautiful day indeed. As I said, the first day of the week. It is the fourth day of Pesach. It is the uh, third day of the Omer, and so uh, Baruch Hashem, this is wonderful. Here we are uh, together, walking, uh, having left Egypt uh, and the, con the uh, constraints of Egypt, and we're walking in liberty and freedom, and we are walking with God's help towards receiving His Holy Torah. And, uh, and and taking that journey seriously, I've been thinking uh, in the last uh, 24 hours about the um, just the uh, implications of counting the Omer and uh, thinking about the refinement process that we go through. Counting the Omer leading from Pesach to Shavuot is a deeply spiritual thing. There's so many things that we do in Judaism that uh, are impactful and spiritual, and this is one of those things. It's deeply impactful and deeply spiritual, and it's it's one of those things, the counting of the Omer, uh, that, is, that is very often overlooked, not really talked about very much, not thought about very much by the people who follow the Mashiach. You know, you talk about uh, people who follow the Mashiach, whether they come from uh, Christian, more Christian circles, or they come from Messianic circles, or even Hebrew root circles, or whatever those circles may be. And and people haven't, they, they all, uh, everybody knows something about Passover. They know maybe a little something about uh, Pentecost or Shavuot, um, or perhaps they uh, know, uh, you know, a little bit maybe about the Day of Atonement or what have you. But very few um, people in those circles know much at all about the counting of the Omer. They, it's not discussed, it's not thought about, and it's interesting because this process of the counting of the Omer is all about refining ourselves, or, or better said, uh, allowing Hashem to refine us, to really take a spiritual accounting and to prepare ourselves for the ultimate jubilee, for the ultimate um, uh, liberation, which is the receiving of God's Torah. Now, when it comes to uh, the 40 days of Teshuvah that's going to come up later in the month of Elul, from Elul, one to the 10th of Tishrei, there's 40 days of Teshuvah there. And so obviously that's a, a deeply spiritual time that you have Rosh Hashanah in there, you have Yom Kippur in there. That's also a deeply spiritual time. But this is one of those uniquely uh, unique moments whereby we're making Teshuvah and we're also refining ourselves along the way and thinking about those attributes and traits that need work. And so uh, I just want to encourage everybody to to uh, count the Omer every night uh, with the proper uh, uh, blessings, um, with the proper kavana, uh, that is a proper intention, and uh, allow this opportunity to Hashem for to allow Hashem to 
um, to rectify us and bring us into this new level. You know, we're coming out of this COVID thing. I have a very strong sense uh, since uh, that, that began yesterday that this um, the curtain is closing on this uh, pandemic COVID thing. Um, that I, I feel very strongly we're going to have the dedication of our mikvah, Bezrat Hashem, uh, just prior to Shavuot, that we're going to be able to have an all-night Torah study here at the synagogue with everybody uh, for Shavuot. And Shavuot is going to be a, a, a new birth, a birthing of a, of a, of a whole new era, um, a whole new um, uh, time. And so uh, we're walking towards that, and I want to encourage everybody um, that this pandemic has has uh, had the effect that I believe it's had. Um, Ahmet talked about not going back. You know, people are like, when can we return to normal? Well, I understand what people mean. You know, we want businesses to open. We want the economy to, to flourish. We want um, uh, things to go well. We want uh, President Trump to be reelected re um, and all of those kinds of things. But we don't want to go back to 100% normal because... Uh, normal would mean that we we would go back to, or I say, to the way things were. That we would forget about the lessons that we've learned. Some of those lessons are pretty simple. Like, kids need to not play video games so much and go outside and play ball. Ride their bike around the block. Walk the dog. Um, families need to get out and, and, and do things together. And we, our lives don't need to be um, mastered by all of the stuff that uh, we have to do. You know, people, I think, get mastered by stuff. They've got to go to this party and that party and this game and that game. And they've got to play in this sport and that sport. And they've got to go to this recital and that recital until your entire existence is scheduled and you have no time for a shim. How many people don't keep the Sabbath because their their son uh, plays football on Friday night? You say, Rabbi, you hate football? No, I like football. But I'm not going to sacrifice the Shabbat for football. How many people don't go to shul or they don't go to congregation? Let's just suppose they're Christians. Okay? How many people don't go to service because their kid plays soccer? They miss a high holy day because their daughter's in a ballet recital. Or they have to go to that party. Or they have to go to that convention, right? Our whole existence. So Hashem says, I'm going to wipe out that thing. All those idols. I'm going to wipe them out for a while. So you have to focus on your family. You have to focus on your faith. You have to get out and realize there's a sky above you. There's trees in the front yard. Everything is not digital. Everything is not on Nintendo or Xbox or PlayStation. That there's real people out there, and uh, and and we we you know how many you know we we don't everybody text messages everybody phone calls everybody blah 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 we're we're on Zoom we're on uh, FaceTime whatever we're doing, but now we're longing to actually see somebody like we want to be in somebody's presence and like talk to them face to face. And Hashem says, awesome, because before that, you didn't want to talk to anybody. In fact, when you were sitting down at the table, you were texting somebody else while you're sitting down with somebody else. And, uh, and it's crazy. And now I put you in a position where all you can do is text, all you can do is Zoom, all you can do is talk through a video screen. And now you want to get out and say, can I just see you face to face? 
yeah, right? So this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. This is the things that Hashem is doing. Um, but listen, we're going to, Hashem is bringing us out of this, but we need to make sure that we're not losing a lesson, which is what the counting the Omer uh, is, is all about. This is a time for Teshuvah, and I just had just an epiphany um, about these kinds of things. It seems so simple, right? But sometimes it's the simple things that are the most impactful things. So uh, God should help us to become new creations. You know, we we were like Amet said. We all those of us who are in covenant, and we're going to get to the Aliyah in a second. All right, but those who are of us who are in covenant, we all had a birthday last this last week. Um. We all had a birthday. You know, the cool thing about it is people say, when were you born again? When were you born again? When were you born again? You know, uh, my, my uh, natural birthday, my calendar birthday is the 26th of February. On the Hebrew calendar, it's the 4th of Adar. Um, and you have a birthday, and so-and-so has a birthday, and everybody says, well, when was your birthday? When did you become a believer? You know, we actually all became believers at the same time. We all have the same spiritual birthday. In fact, Klal Israel has the same spiritual birthdays, the same... Born again birthday. And that birthday is the 14th of Nisan. See, the fact of the matter is, is every 14th of Nisan, we sit down and we all have a birthday uh, dinner together. It's called the Seder. So we are born again and now we're transitioning from, um, from that birthday. Now we're becoming new creations. We're, we're being changed day by day. You know, a baby is born, and then eight, a baby boy, anyway, is born, and then eight days later, he has his, his bris. And the, the bris happens on the eighth day. We're going to mention this in a second. Um, there's a spiritual reason why it's the eighth day and not the seventh day. So it's interesting because we're all born on the eighth day, the 14th of Nisan. Everybody's spiritual birthday is the 14th of Nisan. You say, yeah, but I, did, I, I, but I remember going to service one time uh, 15 years ago. And it was in the middle of uh, it was in the middle of August, and uh, I became a believer that day. That's fine, but your actual deliverance happened by the Pesach Lamb, the fourteenth of Nisan. You just happened to catch up with it in August. But anyway, so what's going to happen this coming Wednesday? This coming Wednesday is a Yom Tov. It's the seventh day of Pesach, and. Uh, we're going to have a service here, of course. And then later that night at 7.30, we decided 7.30 is going to be the time. At 7.30, we're going to have the meal of Mashiach, which is a custom that was introduced by the Baal Shem Tov in about the mid-1700s. It's a beautiful custom. But it's interesting to have that custom because we're going to have that at 7.30, so the, at not, the, the night at the conclusion of the Yom Tov of the seventh day of Pesach. And we're going to go from that. So that basically initiates the eighth day, right? There isn't an eighth day of Pesach. There is not an eighth day of Pesach. But for those who believe in Yeshua, there is. Which means that we're born again. We all had a birthday on the 14th of Nisan. And so we're all going to have our bris at the Mill of Messiah. You know, the apostle said, I've been crucified with Mashiach. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but he who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith, right? And the, the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me, right? We live that, that, that life by faith. 
So when a father gives up his son for the bris, the circumcision I'm talking about, the sages point out that, hey, let's pay attention. Uh, let's pay attention. Make sure everybody's on the same page. This, what's, what's being said here is important. If you have questions, ask the rabbi later. But I don't know, I don't know what's being said, but there's lots of conversation going on. Hopefully, hopefully it's all related. Um, when a father offers up his son on, on the, to, for bris, the sages bring down that when he does that, the moment he does that, he, he offers up his son as a sacrifice. And, and in so doing, he's offering up at that moment all the sacrifices. So I want you to think about that for a moment. This is a Jewish thought. This is not, uh, it's not my own thought. This is the words of the sages, that a father... When he lays his son down on the sandex lap so that the moel can, can perform the bris, that he is offering his son as a sacrifice, and that sacrifice is equivalent to all the other sacrifices offered on the altar. And then we have people who wonder, how can Yeshua be a sacrifice for all time in all ways? So, what does this mean? How does this relate to what I just got through saying? We were born again on the 14th of Nisan. We're going to have the Mil Mashiach together, and that's our bris. What am I trying to say? Well, with the Mil Mashiach, we're celebrating our eighth day bris, which means that at that meal, we are laying ourselves down on the altar, and we are being crucified with Mashiach, except that we get to live. And the life that we now get to live moving forward is a life in and through and by Mashiach. And so our whole life has to be dedicated to the mission that God has called us to. That's what matters. And our life is so short, There's, and even if we live to be 120 years, our life is so short compared to the grand scheme of things, and that's what matters. So this is what's going on, and this is why counting the Omer is so important. And the beautiful thing is, this is a deeply spiritual time. Shabbat is a deeply spiritual time. Going through the summer months of growth is a, a, a spiritual time. Getting to the 40 days of Teshuvah is a spiritual time. And so that's the beautiful thing about living in covenant, living in Torah with Hashem. Now we come to Parsha Shemini. Parsha Shemini which, by the way, if you have the Art Scroll Humash, is on page 589. By no coincidence, Parasham Shemini is, begins by saying, Vahi Bayom Hashmini. It was on the eighth day. So it's the eighth day was the inauguration of the tabernacle. For seven days, uh, Moshe put the tabernacle up. He took the tabernacle down. He put the tabernacle up. He took the tabernacle down. He offered all the sacrifices all by himself. The glory of God never fell. The glory of God did not fall until Vehi by Yom Hashmini, but meaning that it did not fall until the eighth day. The eighth day is a day of transcendence. Seven represents a natural order, but eight represents transcending the natural order. Going beyond the natural order. Mashiach was perfect. He was sinless. He was flawless. And then when he was resurrected to life, he became the Shemini. He became the eighth. He became that which transcends the natural order, the seven of perfection. 
so that we too can transcend the natural order. Not by our own power, but by the power that he gives us. So, we are in chapter 9 of the book of Leviticus. The first Aliyah begins in the first verse, and this is what it says. It was on the eighth day, Moshe summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take yourself a young bull for a sin offering, and a ram for an elevation offering, unblemished, and offer them before Adonai. And to the children of Israel speak as follows. Take a he-goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a sheep in their first un- first year unblemished for an elevation offering, and a bull and a ram for a peace offering to slaughter before Adonai, and a meal offering mixed with oil. For today Adonai appears to you. They took what Moshe had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly approached and stood before Adonai. And Moshe said, This is the thing that Adonai has commanded you to do. Then the glory of Adonai will appear to you. Moshe said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and perform the service of your sin offering and your elevation offering and provide atonement for yourself and for the people. Then perform the service of the people's offering and provide atonement for them, as Adonai had commanded. Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the sin offering calf that was his. The sons of Aaron brought the blood to him. He dipped his finger in the blood and placed it upon the horns of the altar. And he poured the remaining blood upon the foundation of the altar. And the fats and the kidneys and the diaphragm with the liver of the sin offering he caused to go up and smoke on the altar. As Adonai had commanded Moshe. Verse 11. And the flesh and the hide he burned in fire outside the camp. He slaughtered the elevation offering. The sons of Aaron presented the blood to him and he threw it upon the altar all around. They presented the elevation offering to him in its pieces with its head and he caused it to go up and smoke on the altar. He washed the innards and the feet and caused them to go up and smoke on the, uh, uh, on the elevation offering on the altar. He brought near the offering of the people <coughs> He took the sin offering, goat that was for the people, and slaughtered and performed it before the sin offering as for the first one. He brought near the elevation offering and performed its service according to the law. That's the end of the first Aliyah. In Parashah Shemini, we have uh, uh, lots of uh, seemingly uh, contradictory concepts, not really contradictory, but seemingly, seemingly unrelated. For instance, we have the inauguration of the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle. We have the death of Aaron's two sons. We have a discussion about which animals are uh, fit for the altar and which are not. And then we have the laws of the kashrut. And so these seeming to be kind of disjointed, but as some of the insights bring down, um, we have this uh, relation in the insights that brings it all together. So here's, here's what one of the insights says. As I mentioned, the number eight earlier. The number eight, in contrast, is associated with a notion of surpassing the bounds of nature. As it says here, this is the introduction to the Kehol Tumash. Every male Jewish child is initiated into the covenant through circumcision on the eighth day following his birth, signifying the power granted to him to overcome his body's natural 
drives. See, this is the power of the meal of Mashiach that we're uh, going to be experiencing here on the eighth day, the extra day, so to speak. And that is that when we lay our life down with Mashiach, that through that experience of having a spiritual bris, that God gives us the power to overcome our natural desires. What natural desires are we talking about? Well, there's a whole host of natural desires out there. Whether it's related to uh, uh, not wanting to eat kosher or uh, not wanting to follow uh, the mitzvahs, like a natural desire, for instance, would be, I would much rather go to uh, a, a, a Friday night football game or a hockey game, or a dance recital, or a play, or the new movie that came out, because it just came out and everybody was expecting it, and they always release them on Friday night. Isn't that interesting? I'd rather do that than sit home and say some brachas for Shabbat. That's a natural desire. You have to overcome that natural desire. But, uh, and, and, and obviously there's other natural desires like uh, sexual sins and all those kinds of things, you know, but the, the power of the bris is that it gives us, gives us the power to overcome that, right? So, it, so this takes us to a, a, a supernatural power. It says, although there is a quantum difference between seven and eight, seven being the natural order, eight being the supernatural order. The fact that the eighth is called the eighth demonstrates that it's somehow a continuation of the preceding seven, that without the seven unmiraculous days of inauguration, there cannot be a miraculous eighth day. Now, let me just pause here and say that there are books out there that have been written years ago and so on, and there's people who say things such as, there are seven festivals of the Lord. That is wrong. That is very, very incorrect, and it's important. There are not seven festivals of God. There are eight. Of course, there are, um, there's Hanukkah and there's Purim, and those are legitimate festivals, but we're talking here about Torah festivals, ones that were connect, commanded by God's holy Torah, as opposed to ones that are in the Bible and perfectly biblical, but not on that level. Okay, this is why there's no Yom Tovs during Hanukkah and there's not a Yom Tov during Purim because it's not on the level of the, of the Moadim that God gave us uh, in the Torah. There are eight. Why is it that people count seven and not eight? Why, what are they missing? Well, the reason is because it, it, it betrays a fundamental flaw in the overall theology of the counter which is the neglect of the Shabbat upon which all other Moadim are predicated. Because as it says when we say the blessings, that the, the, the Shabbat, when we say this blessing on Friday night, the Shabbat is the first of the holy convocations. Why? Because the Shabbat is a sign of the Exodus. All other Moadim are born out of the Exodus. So if you don't have the Shabbat, you cannot have the other Moadim because there's no womb. The Shabbat is the womb for the other Moadim. So in order to have a baby, and God did this for, as Mikael said, uh, 
some of the sages say that God did this for Sarah and did this for Rebecca, that in order to have the child, God at the appointed time, the Moed, God literally created a womb that did not yet exist in the woman. So in order to have the Moed, you have to have the Shabbat. You have to create the womb from which all other Moedim exist. So if you begin with the Shabbat and start counting festivals, you end up with the eighth festival being Sukkot, which is after the seventh festival of Yom Kippur, which is our natural order of perfection, leading us into an eighth day festival that is the eighth festival of going beyond and new beginnings, the millennial reign. Some might, some might say, rightfully so, well, within the eighth-day festival of, of uh, Sukkot, there's Shemini Yatzeret is actually considered its own festival. That's not a problem because we have, <clears throat> and if you look at the book of Revelation, it brings down this mystery that exists also in other Jewish thought, that there's the millennial reign, and but there's something even beyond that. So, Sukkot is the millennial reign, but then Shemini Yatzeret is that beyond which is beyond. It just goes to show that the moment that we think we've wrapped our head around God, we haven't. That there's so much beyond the beyond the beyond that it blows our mind. But that's where you have, you know, for me, that's where this is where we, I, I, I tend, anyway, speak for myself, to go a little blue screen, you have to kind of back off, uh, control out, delete, reboot, reboot the system, and come back to just to deal with what we know. So, going back to this insight from the Keho Tumash, it says that there's a connection between the seventh and the eighth. Even though the eighth is beyond, a lot of people want to live and be in the beyond. Naturally, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to just live in Sukkot all day long? I mean, all year long, right? I mean, really, it, who, who among us, don't raise your hand, but who among us at the end of Sukkot is like, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> no, I don't know about you, but I'm a little depressed when I'm taking the sukkah down. I'm like moping around the backyard a little bit as I'm taking the schach uh, off. Nobody wants to leave the sukkah. Are you crazy? But... Because we're not living with Hashem yet, we have to live the sukkah so that we can live the seven so we can get back to the eight. And that's where most people get, get confused. Because everybody wants to live in the supernatural and miss the natural, but it's the natural that takes you to the supernatural. This is the point it's making right now. It says, this is because God made his miraculous interventions dependent upon us doing all that we can within the natural order to prepare it for such a revelation. True, God's gesture of opening the gates to the unattainable is still considered an unearned divine gift. This is where a lot of people get confused too. Because they're like, wait a minute, if I work for it, then it's not grace. No, friends. Try to fly to the moon right now. Try to fly to the moon. And then God takes you to the moon. Did God take you or did you actually fly there yourself? No, he took you. But you tried to get there, right? So that's what he wanted you to do. 
but ultimately it's him who does it. This whole thing about we can't work because that's not grace is a is a straw man argument. It's saying here that we have to do all that we can, and even when we are successful, it's still God. It's like I've said before. We can take... Okay. <clears throat> You've sinned. You come to the realization that I, I really have sinned, and it, it's, it's serious. So you go to Hashem, and you say, God, forgive me for my sins, and you mean it. You can't take credit for that. Because God is the one who revealed your sin to you and prompted your heart to make teshuva. You say, well, um, I didn't sin. Uh, uh, you say, uh, you say, I, I didn't sin. I, uh, I was in a position and I had the opportunity and I did not sin. I, I, I chose the path of righteousness. You can't take credit for that either. Because Hashem empowered you by His Spirit to resist. And sometimes, as we brought out in the parasha Kitisi, Kitisa, Sometimes, like with the golden calf, we find the great paradox where God allows us to sin or in fact even puts us in a position to sin or in fact even paves the way for our sin so that we can make such profound teshuva as to learn such a valuable lesson from that that it makes us a better person, just like what happened with the, the golden calf. And, by the way, which also happened with Judah and Tamar. Uh, being with a prostitute is a big sin. And so, the father of the tribe of Judah, 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 I mean, his name is Judah, right? We talk about, I come from the tribe of Judah. He is Judah. And he slept with a prostitute, or he thought she was a prostitute. She wasn't actually a prostitute. But he thought she was a prostitute. But from that great sin came the line of Mashiach. So there's all these things. It doesn't take away the fact that we need to do right all the time. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But what I'm trying to say is that everything is God, no matter what. So you think, don't, so it's in other words, don't be scared because when people tell you, I'm going over my time just, just for a minute, but I'm, I'm almost finished. People tell you, oh, don't eat kosher, don't light the candles on Shabbat, don't keep the law of Moses, because that's working for your salvation. Those are all fear-mongering-based messages. That's all to control you, to prevent you from following God out of a spirit of fear. Okay, Because the fear is... If you actually eat kosher or light candles on the Shabbat or wear a seed seed or do all the other things that God wants you to do, that somehow he'll rip Yeshua right from you and he'll, he'll damn you to hell for all eternity because you were doing what he asked you to do. Let me say that again. That the fear message is that if you actually obey God, he'll send you to hell. I know, it doesn't make sense, does it? I said it twice just so I was hoping it might make sense, but it doesn't. 
But here's the bigger issue. Don't be afraid to do the works of the law. Why? Because even if you did the works of the law 100% perfect, which, by the way, you can do, actually, contrary to popular belief. But even if you did, at the end of the day, it's still grace. Why? Because it's God's spirit working through you that allowed you the ability to do that. Well, I think I'll end there. End of the Aliyah today. We'll come back tomorrow and we will uh, continue with the second reading of Shemini. Until then, have a beautiful day. Do not forget to count the Omer tonight, my friends. Let us join together and uh, walk towards uh, Shavuot. Please pray for everybody's supernatural healing, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Uh, pray for the Mikvah project to be complete. We're going to be working on that uh, very, very, a whole new level of working on that this week to get that accomplished. Um, and pray for the uh, end of this uh, pandemic and all this kind of stuff that ends uh, and we can be together again. Baruch Hashem. Shalom, everybody. We'll see everybody tomorrow. Have a great, amazing day. Hag Sameach Pesach.